Hey, Emily. Hey, Greg. So I'm a lot of things when it comes to hockey, and apparently now I am also a gambling guru as yeah. I've been making appearances on the ESPN show Daily Wager on ESPN News. They have me on to make hockey bets, which is good because I, I, of the of the sports on which I bet, I'm probably the best at hockey. But at the same time, like there's enough pressure when we make predictions on ESPN about like the playoffs and stuff that um, you know you want to get it right and and you don't want to look like an idiot. But the notion that anybody out there might be taking my advice and then using real money to bet on these games is like. It's harrowing. It's absolutely harrowing. I've done okay, but it's harrowing. Has anyone reached out and said, hey, man, you've lost me like 200 bucks? No, but and I wish they would because I've been good so far. Like I was <laughs> I was like two and one last night. Um, I unfortunately bet on the uh, – I didn't bet on. I can't do that in California right now, which sucks because it was – you know, I was, when I was closer to Jersey, it was easier. Uh, I had the Panthers in that game against the Leafs plus a goal and a half. I almost mm. came back and won that one. I've been doing all right. I nailed the Devils with Corey Schneider. I don't know. There's a, there's a documentary on Showtime right now, uh, like a series that's chronicling uh, people that do this professionally, like professional sports wagerers who, like, you know, go from sports book to sports book in Vegas, and that's how they make a living. I think I'm on my way. I, I think that this is hockey writing is just a mere stop on my road to becoming a professional hockey wager in Vegas. Well, ladies and gentlemen, listen to ESPN on Ice while you have it. Yep, that's right. And then tune into the Daily Wager for my five star lead pipe lock of the week. <laughs> I'm releasing three picks today on the Daily Wager. Anyway, coming up on ESPN on Ice, we've got Sean Monahan of the Calgary Flames, boring Sean Monahan, to talk about. Uh, his life with the Flames and maybe a little bit about that Matt Kachuk, Drew Doughty flap. Also, Steve Dangle makes his ESPN on Ice debut. He, of course, has a new book out about his rise up the ranks of the media and also about being a Leafs fan and the trials and tribulations of that. Plus uh, playoff stuff, uh, player safety stuff, and uh, a Phil Kessel loves hot dogs about NHL.com. Uh so, there you go. Let's start the show proper, shall we? From the ice to your earbuds, a podcast about hockey, featuring things to do with hockey. From your friends at ESPN, it's ESPN on ice with Wachinski and Kaplan. Hey, everybody. It's ESPN on ice, the podcast where ESPN talks about hockey. I'm Greg Wachinski, senior NHL writer. I'm Emily Kaplan, nationwide NHL reporter. Someone suggested I say that because it should roll off the tongue better. What do you think? Emily Kaplan's on your side. Does yeah. it fit? Does it fit with the theme song? Mm, I'll try does. that next week. A little All thing. Right. Um, yeah, Ryan, you should really make more jingles for the show, by the way. This is important. I, I think I think we have a good one off the top. Um, but And we have the Phil Kessel one. I kind of just want to turn the show into jingles all the time. Every every five minutes or so, there should be a jingle. I, I feel like I'm a program director now. Anyway, hockey. So, playoff races. As we start the show today, um, the uh, Carolina Hurricanes and Montreal Canadiens uh, inhabit the last two playoff spots in the East. The Arizona Coyotes, who sent me an email today to tell me when uh, playoff tickets go on sale... Uh, 
are in the, are in the wild card in the West. Along, uh, are, 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 I'm sorry, trailing the wild card in the West behind the Dallas Stars and the Colorado Avalanche. So it goes uh, Dallas 84 points, Colorado 81, Arizona 79, Minnesota 79 as we do the show. Minnesota, a uh, one nothing loss on home ice sans Zach Parise against Nashville uh, last night, which is a, a, a tough one to take. I am... I. As much as I think the Bruce, Bruce, the Bruce Boudreau, easy for me to say, magic in the regular season uh, is a very real thing, and if you just simply have that jolly man behind the bench, you're probably going to be in the playoffs, I find it very hard to conceive a way in which the Minnesota Wild are going to end up ahead of uh, the Colorado Avalanche the or maybe even the Arizona Coyotes in this situation. Yeah, I'm, the Coyotes are in a rough spot. They lost five in a row after that really hot streak that propelled them into the playoffs. Um, when I look at the Wild, and this is a little inside baseball, but we do these obituaries for teams when they're eliminated, and I'm trying to get ahead of my work at this time of mail it in March, and I'm like, you know, maybe I should start writing the Wilds, and I'm thinking, what's wrong with this team? Why did they get to this spot? And I think of all the games that have watched them this year, and they've looked really good. It's just that they haven't scored enough goals and they haven't scored enough goals at the right time. And I think it's just plain and simple. Like that's the issue. Um, meanwhile, the Avalanche have really impressed me in the last week. They had those two games against the Chicago Blackhawks where they were without two of their best players, without Ronton and without Landis Gog. And they came away with a huge three points in those. And I really like them as a playoff team right now. Yeah, and that's the thing too. I mean, Brubauer like, was uh, insane too. I just need to put that out there. He was absolutely <laughs> stonewalling everything. I think the thing is, is like you said, you, you think about the Wild right now, and like you said, offense has been the challenge. They're 26th in the league, uh, or sorry, 27th rather in the league in goals for this season, um, and, and so it's been a challenge. And, and but the differences between them and a team like Colorado is that Colorado has been able to overcome some of their injury losses, and the Wild without Parise, without Miko Koivu, <laughs> without Nino Niederreiter because of a horrible trade, um, have also you know, been hit by the injury bug now and again and have been unable to overcome it. But they've, they're still in it. I mean, the bottom line is that they're, they still have a game against Arizona left on the schedule. Um, they still have a game closing out against Dallas left on the schedule. The numbers are starting to not be in their favor. The, the teams that they are trailing have a game in hand on them, and the Blackhawks, who are three points behind them, have two games in hand on them now. Blackhawks once again like a cockroach. Just you can't get rid of them. It's just like wrote the obituary anyway, but that might live on for another playoff round. Yeah, they're still they're still kind of mathematically in it, and they still have enough games left against teams that they're chasing. Uh, Arizona tonight, in fact, as we do the podcast, that they're just not out of it quite yet, um, even though they probably should be. Dallas it, it seems ensconced in that first wild card right now. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not going to catch the Blues. I don't think that whoever finishes in the in the final wild card is going to be able to catch them ultimately, which means that we could be headed for either the uh, Predators or Jets against the Stars in the first round. And the Stars' emphatic victory against the Winnipeg Jets uh, this week, a, a statement game, if you will. I, you know, Dallas is a weird team. Like, they're another team that has never really put it together offensively all that much this season. But give me Ben Bishop in a seven-game playoff series, and, and I'm, I'm going to maybe pay attention to that series. And Anton Kadoman just slipping in and maybe winning a game here or there. Like, their goaltending tandem, I think, has probably been the best in the league. Uh, looking at the Western Conference playoff matchups as they are now, 
Jets versus Stars would be great. I think the Jets have not played their best hockey lately. Uh, they do get their secret weapon in Dustin Bufflin back, hopefully. I think he's begun practicing. Uh, I don't know if he's a secret weapon. Everyone sees him and knows exactly what he is. <laughs> it's rather large. Um, but really, I'm excited for this Predators-Blues matchup, and I, I feel like it's almost inevitable at this point um, because I think it's two teams that are trending in different directions. The Predators, once again, you know, they made their moves, but they haven't played their peak hockey. And I don't think they're their best versions of themselves right now. And the St. Louis Blues, meanwhile, are coming into this kind of steamrolling. I mean, yes, they've had a few blips here and there, but they really are a team with momentum. Momentum and also a team that I think has demonstrably played better as a team and played their system better than, than Nashville has consistently mm-hmm. throughout the season. That would really... Like you said, worry me if I was a Predators fan is going up against a St. Louis team that has a little bit more of a belief in themselves right now than do the Preds. Um, as we've mentioned many times in the show before, like what a bummer the Sharks and the, and the Vegas Golden Knights having to play in the first round. 95 points, 90 points. Um, the playoff format is stupid, uh, but we're stuck with it apparently. We'll talk about that maybe a little bit later on. Uh, Calgary with 101 points, probably going to win the West and get that final wild card. Um, which is even more of a bummer because if it's the final wild card and it's Arizona, the the Flames will deprive us of the new Jets versus old Jets uh, series mm. that we could have had. Um, by the way, Calgary, Arizona in the first round, not to cast aspersions on other rights holders, but where is that game on the NBC family of networks? Is that on the TV Guide channel? Like, what 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 channel do they put Arizona and Calgary on? Is there, like, a Golf Channel 2 that it could possibly be on? Because I can't imagine a single one of those games finds its way on on NBCSN, right? Can't wait to tune in later with Sean Monaghan, guys. (laughs) No, this is not... I am not saying anything critical of the Calgary Flames. I am, in fact, turning the mirror on us. I mean, I don't really turn a mirror. You just... You get my point. The point is, is that as American fans... We don't really care about Calgary. We just never have. I think even if- when Ginlow was there, we didn't care about Calgary and Arizona. I mean, maybe there's a bit of a cind- of Cinderella juice with the Coyotes, but casual hockey fan not making time in the first round to go search out Coyotes Flames. It's just a two, fact of life. Two thoughts here: one, the hill this podcast will always die on. Maybe it's the chance that we finally see these American stars that are hidden over the border: Matthew Kachuk and Johnny Gaudreau. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they can be introduced themselves. But two, I wonder if the casual, generic U.S. American fan can get behind the Arizona Coyotes if they slip in as this year's golden misfits and kind of the scrappy little team that we all want to get behind. And as Talk had said on our podcast before, we've seen that community really rally around a playoff team. Um, maybe they're America's team. Little, well, little Cinderella. Hard, hard to be America's team when the most entertaining team in all of hockey is over in the other conference, the Carolina mm. Hurricanes. Uh, since we last did <laughs> this the podcast, Tampa Bay Lightning. <laughs> <laughs> no, not the Tampa Bay Lightning, the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, since we last did this podcast, they did the duck hunt celebration, mm-hmm. um, uh, where they threw gloves in the air and, uh, and, uh, uh Justin Falk and, and Michael Furland pretended to shoot them. They did the basketball celebration. Loved it. Which, w- in which Trevor Van Riemsdyk showed pretty solid dribbling skills by bouncing the ball off the ice and then dunking on a mini net. Um, they just keep going and going and going and doing these amazing things, and and they're right now the first wild card in the East. They would, they were. I mean, are there, unless something changes, they're going to end up playing the winner of the Metropolitan Division, which could be Washington, the Islanders, or Pittsburgh. Of those three, who would you like most the Hurricanes to play? 
Uh, I think I'm rooting for that Washington Capitals matchup because it would be a jerk versus jerk situation for John Cherry. <laughs> Koozie versus the entire team that celebrates. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think that's just a sexy matchup where the Capitals, I feel, are a team that's coming in also with momentum into the playoffs. You know, they're the established team with the veterans and they're the defending Stanley Cup champs and it's then these plucky underdogs who do the goofy celebrations. I, I think it would be a great juxtaposition, not to mention, plus the star power. I'd love to see that Carolina's first line uh, of Ajo go up against the Caps. Exactly. Uh, I agree with you. I think that'd be a really fun series. Also, hearkening back to the glory days of the Southeast Division. And mm-hmm. then over in the Atlantic, I mean, we've gotten Boston and Toronto. That's a series but that's been set since like the first week of the season. Tampa Bay is either going to play probably Montreal or Columbus in the first round. If it's Montreal, there's a certain appeal to that because you'll have Carey Price, Canada's favorite goalie, up against the best offensive team in in the league, an absolute juggernaut, and also the chance for some of the miscreants on the Montreal side, including uh, the lovely and talented Brendan Gallagher, maybe trying to mix it up with the skilled players on the Lightning. But as we've said before on this podcast, we both want Columbus in this draw. We want to see the go-for-broke, Shoot your shot, Yarmo Kekalainen, rewarded. Fortune favors the brave. No one was braver than him. Get that team in the playoffs. And for God's sakes, give Matthew Shane another postseason game. The, the poor man has suffered enough. Uh, a Columbus-Tampa uh, Bay series will be short and sweet, but at least it would be a Columbus series. I'm living and dying with every Blue Jackets game. Like I'm so <laughs> excited for tonight at... They're playing the Islanders. It's going to be great. But Thursday is like the Super Bowl of the NHL season. The Canadians playing the Blue Jackets Thursday night. It's going to be amazing. I, mm-hmm. I might periscope myself watching it. I'm so excited. It's going to be fantastic. And by the way, take Columbus minus the goal and a half. Just <laughs> You don't even have to turn into the daily wager. You got That's all your advice right. here. That's right. All right. A team that is clearly uh, on its way to the playoffs because they clinched. And a team that uh, at least some of us are excited to see get there. The Calgary Flames. And here's Sean Monahan. Joining us now on the line, Sean Monahan of the Calgary Flames, having himself a career year point per game pace uh, for the Flames this season. Um, so I guess the first question is, uh, first, congratulations on uh, clinching the old uh, playoff spot. I think I saw the lines in practice today that you and Johnny Goudreau and Elias Lindholm were all in different places. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. Oh, that's a bit of a bummer because your line this season has been insanely good. What do you think it, it it is when you guys are together and clicking well that made you guys work so well this year? Yeah, I think we were rolling there for for a long period of time and, and playing really well. And uh, I mean, when you're playing with confidence and playing at a high pace, that's uh, you're going to get a lot of looks, and that's what was happening. And uh, as of late, I don't think we've been uh, at our best, especially myself and. Uh, I mean, when you're, you're going through tough times, sometimes there's some change and uh, you find your game again, and uh, that's what we're looking to do here. So, Sean, at this time last year, you were shut down for the year. The team was out, and then you had four separate procedures. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. I was reading some quotes that your grip strength in your left hand was about 10% of what it was in your right before that procedure in your wrist. Yeah, that's correct. <laughs> how the hell did you play like that? I mean, how do you do face-offs? Shoot, I'm just... I'd love just to hear more detail about that because I'm flabbergasted. Yeah, I mean, I had a, I guess a, a bummed wrist there for quite a while, and I think, uh, after after playing, I guess a couple of years with it, it just it gets some wear and tear. And uh, I mean, when it's tough to deal with it, uh, it's usually when you got uh, you got to make the fix, and that's what we decided to do. 
How do you know when to deal with it, though? I'm always fascinated by you guys. You're always banged up, especially when it comes to this time of the season. How, how do you know when it's time to pull the trigger and, and go under the knife or something like that? Yeah, I think it was. Uh, I mean, it was a long period of time, and uh, I mean, looking back at it, I was doing a lot of things to make sure I was able to, to get in the lineup and play. So, I mean, when you're doing that night after night, it uh, it wears on you, and uh, not just physically, but mentally too. I mean, going to the game and feeling like you're not uh, at 100, percent you got to do different things to, to try and get there. So, I mean, when you're continuing to do that, uh, you definitely want to get your body healthy and uh, ready to go. All right, so Bill Peters comes to Calgary. You guys go from, like, 26th in the league in offense to, like, third. What is it about the, the system you guys have been playing this year? Is it a personnel difference? Is it a system difference? What has happened to make Calgary such an offensive juggernaut this year? Yeah, I think Bill's done a great job. I think it's uh, – obviously, we brought in some some new pieces that have been uh, huge additions to our team, and a lot of guys have stepped up. But I think uh, – the mentality of our team and uh, the way we play is a lot different. I think uh, when you're playing with confidence and you're playing, like I said, at a high pace, which that's what uh, Bill encourages. That's that gives you a lot of uh, a lot of good scoring chances and a lot of time in the other team's zone. So I think he's done a great job with that. All right, this is a twofold question, and this is not new ground. But the boring Sean Monahan Twitter account is one of my favorites in all of hockey. It's been around for some time, and I've noticed that account lives on and it's still tweeting but you personally you know have stopped your instagram's private one what was your decision to get off social media and two have you ever done a full investigation to who's actually running this thing yeah i mean i did i'm still investigating still trying to figure out who it is i still don't know but uh yeah i mean i don't uh i don't really take part in social media anymore it's uh kind of behind me but uh i mean still every now and then i'll, I'll take a look here and there at that account it's it's pretty funny and uh I mean, whoever's uh, whoever started that and still running with it is doing a great job. Do you, do you think it's one of your teammates? Because I feel like that was one of the initial theories. It had to be someone on the Flames. Yeah, I still think it's Brian McGratton, but uh, I don't. Uh, I don't know. He's uh, he's a big part of our team still, so I don't. Uh, I, I can't see it being him anymore. So I, I honestly have no idea who it would be. Yeah, it does fit the bigger motif, <laughs> though, to be doing that. Um, What'd you make of the Matt Kachuk Drew Doughty flap this week? I mean, that's uh, that's Chucky's role. I mean, he's uh, he's established himself as uh, one of the top forwards in the league, and I mean, he he does his job well, and obviously you can see that by even before a game starts. So he's uh, he's a big part of this team, and he's going to be a big part of this team for a really long time. I think he wears it as a badge of honor when he sees Doughty get all tantrumy about him. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think so. I think uh, Chucky likes to play on the edge, and I mean, by doing that, that uh, that gets under the guy's skin. So, I mean, when when he sees like stuff like that, obviously he, he's getting uh, that much more amped up to play. So, I mean, that uh, that kind of stuff's going to get him going. One of my favorite questions to ask hockey players: What's the grossest thing you've ever seen on the ice? <laughs> grossest thing I've ever seen on the ice? Probably this year when James Neal got his teeth knocked out. I think he'd <sighs> lost. About ten teeth, and there's teeth everywhere. It's pretty, uh, pretty nasty to see. Do you have all your chiclets? Yes, I do. Knock on wood. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't want to jinx it. I don't want to jinx it at yeah. all. It was there ever a moment where you thought you lost one? 
Yeah, I've got quite a few high sticks, a few pucks in the face, and uh, lucky enough, it's just stitches in the face and stuff like that. But uh, there definitely has been a few close calls. All right, let me ask you this. This is a sensitive question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. The Athletic did a story in which they talked to all of your friends from your childhood. And apparently you have a friend named Gabe, and he told The Athletic a story about the time that you forgot your hockey pants and practiced in a jock and some shin pads. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, actually, I do remember that. It, uh, we had practice. I showed up, and uh, I always, growing up, I always put my skates on before I put my pants on. So that kind of my pants are usually my last thing to put on. And once I was dressed, I realized I didn't have my pants and uh, went out and asked my dad if he could go get them. And uh, my dad wasn't there at the time, so I just uh, I went out there and, did practice without uh, without any pants on. <laughs> so you have all your gear, and you're like, you know what? It's, it's not worth it taking it off. I might just go out there anyway. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, you don't want to miss a practice. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> um, all right, finally, man. Like, what is it? What is the the ramp up for you personally when it comes to the playoffs looming? I mean, they, they've they've not been. An every year thing for you while you've been in Calgary, but they're clearly going to be a thing this year with the way you've clinched. Is there anything that you do different in the waning games of the season when you're getting prepared for the playoffs? Yeah, you want your game as sharp as possible going into the playoffs. So that's uh, that's something I'm focusing on right now, and uh, our team game is going to continue to grow. And I mean, once you're in the playoffs, every shift matters, and uh, that's what you got to realize right away. You got to go out there and you got to try and make a difference with. Uh, so you got to be ready to go night in, night out, and uh, obviously it's it's easy to get amped up for playoffs. That's uh, it's, it's a privilege of playing them. Awesome stuff. Well, it's going to be a fun time in Calgary with uh, you guys giving a home ice in the first round. That's for sure. Sean Monahan, thank you so much for joining us on ESPN on Ice, and uh, continued success this season. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, our thanks to Sean Monahan and the Calgary Flames and. I'm just like you, and I just would love to discover who's actually behind that Twitter account. And did you guys all know that Discover is the official credit card of the NHL? And with Discover, you can show how much you love your team everywhere you shop with a personalized card featuring your favorite NHL team's logo and colors. But no matter what team you root for, Discover is committed to rewarding all their new card members with cash back match. Only Discover offers a dollar-for-dollar match on all the cash back you've earned at the end of your first year, automatically. No caps, no signups. Redeem your rewards in any amount at any time, and they never expire. With all that extra cash, you can treat yourself to center ice seats of the game, your favorite player's jersey, or maybe some new headphones to listen your favorite podcast on. Mm-hmm. So try it and believe it at discover.com slash NHL. Only for new card members, limitations apply. Limitations, Greg, also seem to apply this year to the amount of suspensions or the length of suspensions handed out by the Department of Player Safety. And you had an excellent piece this week where you talked to George Paros about that. And just tell our listeners what you learned. Is there like a Pulitzer Prize for segues you're going for? I'm crushing it. <laughs> I'm on such a power trip. Everyone who's tweeted on me, thank you. I've read all of them. My favorite of them. I've showed them to my mom and dad. <laughs> The Pulitzer Prize for Segways, by the way, is just a golden Segway, uh, the big uh, individual mobile vehicle that they use in D.C. for tours, but I don't know where else they use them, honestly, in the world anymore. I've seen them at Dallas and tours of the uh, JFK uh, Museum. 
I feel like uh, the the scooter, the scooter, like the one, the ones that uh, we've seen in, in other cities, have sort of replaced the Segway. You mean but the one that the you seg- refused to try when we I were at Alstom? I refused to try it. I, I, yeah, I was scared of it. Quick story um, on that: I took it with Frank Saravalli and Diana, who covers the Lightning, uh, to the All Star Game, and for the first two blocks, I did not realize that they were um, powered. I was like, "Wow, my left hamstring is really going, or my left quad." calf is going to be really sore from going up the highway and they're like why don't you just press the on button yeah i walked and i think i made it there just the same time as you guys oh did, we pulled up at the same time don't quite understand that was a um, but segways were supposed to change the way we build cities uh, but that didn't happen so george peros and i had a chat and what i discovered is that he doesn't necessarily track the length of suspensions vis-a-vis other seasons but they're down compared to last year. Um, and, and, and so we talked about the theories behind that. And one of the theories that he bought into was the idea that we have a lot of people uh, that have gotten suspensions this year that aren't normally the ones that do. Um, good players, you'd call them. Not repeat offenders, you'd call them. Uh, and so when you have those kinds of players getting suspended, they're not going to go north of three games. Most of them are going to be two or one games, and that's one reason why the length of suspensions is down, uh, and also the number of lengthy suspensions we've had. You know, We've only had, I think, three outside of the Tom Wilson one uh, that have gone over three games, versus I think at the end of last season it was 11. So it's been kind of a weird year for player safety. I mean, I guess a successful year if you want to consider success not having the same people over and over stand before George Peros in the panel. Um, it's a bunch of newbies this year. So I guess from that standpoint, maybe there's been some education. What did you make of his comments about Tom Wilson? I thought they were very interesting and directed and, uh, At the heels of the playoffs where I believe, as you mentioned in the piece, you know, we've seen this happen before with Tom Mm -hmm. where all of a sudden it looks like he's turned a page and then boom, he's right back on their radar. Um, It would behoove George Peros for Tom Wilson now to be the poster boy for his organization and saying, look, he's someone that we've helped reform. We've worked with him and and he's changed his ways. What, What did you take of what he said about him? I think I took the same thing you did, which is that. It's sort of a knock on wood thing. You know, it, Wilson got in trouble at the beginning of last season. He kept his nose clean for the entirety of the season. And then he just started hitting everything that moved in the playoffs. And in each series had at least one hit that could have been a potential suspension. And in the Penguins series broke a guy's jaw and did get suspended. So I think Peros is thinking to himself that I'm not buying into this reform thing until I actually see how this thing plays out in the postseason. I will say, though, that, you know, They've been monitoring his hits. I think they're seeing what they're 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 liking what they're seeing insofar as the hits he's laying off of that maybe in the past he would have completed the check. And I do think that there's something to be said for the idea that when you get up to 14 games, which is what Wilson ended up serving after the um, arbitration ruling knocked down the suspension the NHL gave him, you know the next one's going to be 25. Or, or 30, or something really bad if you end up hitting somebody in the same manner in which you've been hitting people that got you the earlier suspensions. Uh, he would be a repeat, 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 repeat offender at that point, and I think Wilson knows that there's no getting out of the next one. So when you reach that point, it may actually be a deterrent. I don't often think that you know three games here, three games there is going to really change the way a guy hits, but when you get to 14, <laughs> and when you know how much money that's going to cost you the next one, you might actually not do it. So I'm going to give maybe 51% benefit of the doubt, 49%. I'm fully expecting him to break another penguin's jaw. 
Um, but 51% benefit of the doubt right now. What about you? Uh, yeah, I maybe a little higher, uh, or more positive, or I think I'm confusing myself with double negatives here. Um, <laughs> I believe in Tom Wilson. I do. I, I, I think that he's made a concerted effort. Uh, my last question for you, Greg, is what was your big takeaway, and is there anything that you left on the cutting room floor from your conversation with him? Oh, uh, big takeaway is that um, the toughest decision they've had this year was the Evgeny Malkin suspension hmm. uh, because it, nothing like it had happened on Paros's watch before, and trying to glean intent is, I think, the trickiest part of their jobs. But I think on that one, they felt pretty comfortable that the intent of Evgeny Malkin was to really hit this guy in the head with a stick and barely just missed him. So I think they felt comfortable in suspending a guy that obviously had a pretty clean record before that uh, for something that only slightly happened, uh, a glancing blow versus being anything injurious. So that was the takeaway. As far as Katagrim floor, um, not really. Uh, the Voracek thing was a discussion where we talked about that. And then also we had a brief discussion about um, whether or not the player safety department wants larger fines. Hmm. He's lobbying for it. There was some talk around Board of Governors that the NHL might push for bigger fines for players in order to do that instead of giving them suspensions. And Perro said that there hasn't really been any lobbying on behalf of his department for that sort of thing. Uh, but also said that the more tools that they have to work with insofar as punishing players, the better it's going to be. So no formal kind of ask in the next CBA to bump up those fines to like $10,000 or more, um, maybe like even twenty five grand for the, the, the things that happen that don't require a suspension. But I think that the Department of Player Safety wouldn't be sad if, if it went down that road. Here's a guy that I've been sort of internet friends with and i guess irl friends with for a really Aww. long time i uh, yeah we've met each other in toronto uh, uh, more than a few times i think we probably had oh we definitely yeah so we were at jeff merrick's house once and merrick had this incredible i want to say it was pumpkin beer that he wanted me to try and i think dangle drank it before i even got a chance to try it what so, a hero drinking pumpkin beer and nobody else wants to try it <laughs> so hero if nothing else if nothing else, there should be a quid pro quo for him getting me a pumpkin beer, mm. if I'm remembering the story correctly. It was pretty hazy. I think uh, we have a on, on pumpkin beer. <laughs> yeah. For having him. Wait, do you like pumpkin beer or not? No, I think it's nasty. Pumpkin Why? everything. It's, it's extra. It's too much. It's oversaturated. Right, I think this is a situation where you have had pumpkin beer that probably tasted medicinal and artificial, and you need to go get yourself some pumpkin ale from Southern Tier to cleanse your palate from the the garbage you've been drinking that has a pumpkin on the label all righty anyway here's steve dangle joining us now on the line an old blogging buddy and a guy who is now making his a multimedia star a howard stern for a new generation uh, a, a multi-platform oh, multimedia star uh steve dangle you, you know him you love him from uh, sportsnet uh, uh ice surfing uh, is the show where he and Merrick uh, do uh, goofy things, and uh, it's on Twitter. And his new book, This Team is Ruining My Life, parentheses, but I love them, colon, how I became a professional hockey fan. Uh, I, I blurbed it. I really enjoyed it. And it is currently, as we do this podcast, the number, uh, what is it? I'm here in the States. Three. Number three in the States and what, number one in Canada? Oh, in the States? I have no idea. Oh. Well, in the States, it's number six, it says, but it's number three in Canada. 
Uh, and his new book is, is huge. It's, it, they went through one printing already. They're on a second printing. Everybody loves it. And, uh, and, well, not everybody loves it, Steve. Can you talk to us about how it feels to get called out, uh, by, uh, was it Steve Simmons who questioned why other veteran scribes books weren't selling, but yours was? Oh, you know, if, if there was any criticism uh, I could offer Steve Simmons, it would be that my birthday was last week. Uh, that, that was the, the best endorsement I, I could have possibly gotten. And nothing against Casal Kelly. I'm not really aware of his work. Uh, Dave Schultz, I have some respect for. Like, uh, I've always wanted to try stand up comedy, and he's actually had the stones to do it. I haven't. Yeah. So, you know, nothing against those guys. But if Steve Simmons doesn't like you, I mean, like, think of all the Toronto based people. That that has worked out for Phil Kessel, me, <laughs> mostly us, but it oh it's wonderful it's wonderful. All right, Steve. Well, we're always asking athletes about their process, or I guess as you would say in Canada, process. Um, so I'm curious <laughs> if you can take us through your process of writing a book. Uh, how long did it take you? Where did you write? When did you write? Um. Well, you know, there was you know, like a lot of my career, there was a little bit of luck involved. Um. Uh, we had Ken Reed sell one of his many books uh, on the podcast, and you know, in typical you know Nova Scotian fashion, he can just spin a good yarn. He was an amazing storyteller, and I guess he sold a lot of books that day. So it it got the publisher's attention, and they were like, "Who the hell is this person?" <laughs> um, and then we met. We discussed a book idea, but it, I think it would have been unrealistic. It would have been like really. It would have been a lofty project for a first book. You know, I don't know how to write a book. Um, but it just so happened the guy lived in Oshawa, a suburb outside of Toronto. Uh, and so he was driving home, and I go, well, if you if you give me a ride home, I'll tell you about my, like, whole life story, and maybe we could write a book on that. So it was the first day I, like, prayed for traffic. And, uh, you know, every every story I finished, he's like, all right, what's the next one? So... Uh, we came up with a book deal, and I think it it took about took at least a year and a half. Um, I uh, didn't write enough in the first summer, and then once the hockey season began, I'm like, I'm going to write X amount per week. Oh, but not the first week. The first week is crazy. Oh, and the second week's not much better than the first week. And then it's like March, and I'm like, I need to write seventy five thousand words mm-hmm. <laughs> in two weeks. So it, it was a uh, it was a bit of a chaotic process, but. It's done, and I don't know. I think it's actually a pretty good book. It is, and, and what I dug about it was that it wasn't simply just a chronicle of the travails and the uh, pain and the suffering of uh, being a Leafs fan, although there's a lot of that in there. I, I was actually surprised how much was about you and about your journey up the ladder and stuff, um, which I think a lot of... I, as someone who gets a lot of questions about, like, how do I break into this business or how do you do a podcast or all this other stuff, like, the kind of behind the scenes of how you arrived where you are, I thought, was was informative and educational and, and, and inspiring in some ways, to be quite candid. Well, thank you. I, I, you know, I've read a lot of books I really liked about, you know, how you get into media and everything, but, you know, it tends to be from people who are, like, already well-established uh and like people who are in their 40s 50s 60s and i'm not well established at all like i i'm on uh you know i still got my little social media desk on ice serving with merrick 
I'm pretty much his intern. And what what would you have in your copy, sir? Um, so I, I thought I'd I'd write it from the perspective of sort of someone who, you know, I've taken a bit of a weird path. I've gone from, uh, you know, YouTube to Sportsnet, but like I'm still on YouTube, and YouTube has completely evolved during that time. And and uh, I don't know. I'm I'm always interested in how people got to to where they are. So I thought I would let people in on that, and also like, you know, not just the career hardships and everything but like you know stuff you can't plan for you know um you feel down in the dumps for you know six seven eight months at a time or you know a lockout (laughs) which is uh pretty pretty uh unwelcome when you're trying to establish your career so um you know i if if i were to talk about all the things that went well i think it would have been you know, kind of a boring, self-serving book. So I, I tried to throw in as many uh, screw-ups as possible. So if people learn from it, great. If they laugh, even better. You said, mentioned before about how when you're writing a book that it's better to not necessarily just pump a bunch of sunshine in those chapters but also deal with the uh, dark times as well to, to make it more entertaining. And I can't help but think about your predicament right now as someone who come comments on the Leafs um, <laughs> there were times this season when things looked really good and it was the uh, post Tavares uh, honeymoon um, it was Marner blowing up it was the whole thing and it, it's it's getting I mean there's still obviously moments of, of where you look at this team and you're like oh yeah it, it could be fine and then there's a lot of sort of hand and consternation that maybe it's not built right, that maybe Babcock's not doing well, that maybe that's not coming together like it should to contend for a cup, uh, that they're going to get chewed up by the Bruins. So as, as someone who has been um, a, a prominent voice in the Leafs fan community through uh, times both uh, dark and bright, uh, what's easier and what's and what's better and what's more entertaining for you? Is it to uh, be happy with this team or is it to be uh, critical uh, of this team and frustrated with this team? Um, this has been the hardest season as a Leafs fan, like since I started making videos and that's saying something because I started 12 years ago and they sort of sucked, uh, over that span. Um, it was, it was funny when they were the scrappy group of rookies. Um, it was fun last year when they were taking this next step. Now that, I mean, there's nothing scrappy underdogish about stealing another team's captain and signing him <laughs> to the biggest free agent contract in, in NHL history. Like uh, the Leafs are right back to being the death star, right? They're, they're the bad guys. They're Goliath. No one's no one. If you're not a Leafs fan, I don't know why you would cheer for them. Like it, 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 there's nothing redeemable. Believe me, I get it. But now um, that they're actually good and there's expectations of them, every loss is calamity. And every win, like, there's a certain standard of win now. Like, I wasn't even that ha- They scored seven goals against the Florida Panthers, and I wasn't even that happy because they allowed five. Yeah. Like, a couple of years ago, I would have been like, ah, this lovable, you know, ah, tussle, tussle their hair, this little group of rookies. Of course they don't know defense, but it'll come. <laughs> well, it hasn't come yet, and everyone's getting antsy. And it, it makes, uh, it makes things more complicated because they have this golem in, in the, in the Boston Bruins that they've been on a collision course with for like two months now. Um, but I think if Leaf fans just allow themselves 
to enjoy themselves. Like, look at the standings every day. Through all their slumps and everything, they're still, what, fifth? They're still right up there uh, in the league. And if they get healthy, I mean, look look at the, the last year's series against the Bruins haunts me so much more than the 2013 one. The 2013 one was was what the team was at the time, which is cartoony. Right. I could get behind that kind of heartbreak. It's now that enough time has passed, it's hilarious. But last year, it's just they blew it. Like to me, it's so much more they blew it than blowing a four-one lead in the third. They should have had Game Seven. They were good enough to take it. Game Four is the one that haunts me. Home ice, and the Bruins didn't even have Bergeron in the lineup. And do you hear my voice? Do I sound like a happy man right now? <laughs> no, you do like, not. It's, no, it's so much harder to enjoy them now that they're good. Um, mm. But I feel like once we sort of get over ourselves, uh, the Leafs might just surprise us because the Washington Capitals didn't win the Stanley Cup until they weren't supposed to. <laughs> so you, you just never know in this dumb sport. Mm-hmm. All right, my last question for you. We have a largely, I think it's predominantly American audience. What's a misconception uh, that we might have about Leafs fans? Oh my goodness! Oh, it's a misconception that we might have about Leafs fans. Well, what are some of the conceptions? Because I know, I know what they are in Edmonton, and it's that we all drink blood, and. <laughs> um, and in Montreal, it's uh, that we're all big, uh, stupid idiots. So what, what do American fans think of Leafs fans? I would say the American perception of a Leafs fan is that um, despite having a the track record that the Leafs have, the, the moment where it appears that the, the franchise is turning the corner, it's you snap into plan the parade mode. It's mm-hmm. never a slow build. It's, ne- it's never like, okay, we're climbing up the ladder, rung by rung. It's a, it's a long journey. It's like the minute you sniff success, it's Austin like, Matthews has four goals in one game. Right, for yeah, it. right. It, it, it's, it's like, it's like, it's like uh, the, the Betsy Ross of Canada is sewing the banner for you guys. Right, uh, right. Yeah. yeah, Austin Matthews scored four goals in one game that they lost, by the way. Uh, <laughs> so is that is that no the one... misconception that are you guys more humble than, than hubristic? Oh, it's it's not a humble thing. It is a self-loathing thing. Like I, people think of Leaf fans as as arrogant and overly cocky. Dude, we have been beaten into the earth's crust. How could we possibly be cocky? There are are some fans that are you know they bleed blue and white and they're wildly optimistic and you know they show up at you know Washington Capitals playoff games with their faces painted blue and white and they get on on national television and all that uh, there are those fans and and like i respect them i mean what are you supposed to do hate the team that you cheer for but i think i think if uh fans dig a little deeper that's exactly the case leafs fans hate the leafs and uh, it's because we love them we wish we didn't love them this much because they wouldn't hurt us so bad how's that that's great <laughs> That's great. Steve Dangle, ladies and gentlemen, is the author of uh, This Team is Ruining My Life, parentheses, but I love them, How I Became a Professional Hockey Fan, available wherever books are sold, courtesy of uh, the incredibly named ECW Press. Every time I see that, I just think that Steve Dangle is going to go through a flaming table at some point uh, in a bar. That's how we signed the contract. 
Yeah. Uh, some say that this book is a wonderful look at the rickety ladder to success in sports media and how one can invent their own way of climbing it. Um, that was me that said that, actually, on the back of the book. So you know it's good. Uh, Dangle, you're the best. Where can people find your stuff? Oh, my goodness. Uh, well, there's obviously the book that's out, but um, I'm trying to get 100,000 subscribers on YouTube. I'm currently at 98,000, so if you could help me out, that'd be wonderful. Mm. Just Steve Dangle, all one word. I got the Steve Dangle podcast that's on Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, uh, all that wonderful stuff. And that's also on YouTube as well. And uh, Twitter, Steve underscore Dangle. 100,000 subscribers gets you that Logan Paul money, right? Yeah, I'm going to move to Calabasas and never speak to you again. <laughs> or is it that PewDiePie money? I don't know. One of those two. You get that kind of dough if you get 100,000 on, on uh, YouTube. Yeah, hopefully without the controversy. Yeah, you know, just you know, just just stick to the games. Um, all right, Dangle, thank you so much for joining us, man. Uh, congrats on the success and congrats on the book. I appreciate it, man. Hey, it's all thanks to getting fuck daddied long ago. Well, I mean, obviously, but I, I, that that went without saying. Yeah. <laughs> all right, man. Thanks. I appreciate it. Thanks. Take care, guys. Our thanks to Steve Dangle. Go buy his book. It's a it's a good look at a, at an interesting fellow. Uh, he he's good hockey media, and now it's time for the opposite in our favorite segment of the week. Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. No, he does not love to eat hot dogs. Our weekly oh, we look at sad, sad hyperbole, hyperbole and, and strange narratives of the hockey media. Good one, Randy. Good one. Yeah, it's Phil Kessel loves hot dogs, where we look at the hockey media and the ways that it it sucks. You know what sucked this week? Uh, the NHL.com coverage of the Capitals White House visit. Now look. This is not casting aspersions on Tom Galiti, who wrote the story, or anybody who works there as a writer. A lot of them are our friends. They're really good at their jobs. But just like how, you know, sometimes when you're at your job and you can't do everything you probably want to do because the place won't let you, you got to point this out occasionally. And, and, and again, this is an editorial decision. It's not a decision by anybody else there. But... When Braden Holtby, who is the goaltender of the Stanley Cup champions, decides not to visit the White House for personal political reasons, and there's no news story on NHL.com about that, and there's no mention of him not being there in the story about the Capitol surrounding the president at the desk in the Oval Office and the guy who backstopped them to the cup isn't there, like... That's dereliction of duty. That's creating a fantasy world wherein these types of things aren't happening in your league. You are trying to perpetrate that these guys are automatons and not actual people with actual feelings. And, like, the idea that you're going to sit there and, you know, publish the happy dog calendar pictures and who's the scariest monster for Halloween. But the minute these guys actually say something or do something salient and you're just going to ignore it, because of why? The backlash you might get? The backlash is already out there. It's news. He's getting the backlash, if there's any. Or the Capitals will. To not mention it draws more attention to it than to mention it. And so the editorial decision by somebody at the NHL to not recognize that Braden Holtby decided not to go to the White House or Brett Connolly... Devontae Smith-Pelly's off the hook because he's in the minor leagues. It's a joke, and it makes the league look bad. 
and I wish they didn't do it. It's easy just to put in one sentence, but in state-run media. Conspicuous by its absence. All right, now it's time for Puck Headlines. Dateline the White House. Hey, look, uh, as predicted, the Capitals got zero of the backlash the Penguins did. This is all I was trying to say the other week. Different climate. Penguins don't go while the Warriors are feuding with the White House, while the president is feuding with any with NFL players, calling them SOBs. It was a powder keg that the Penguins were tap dancing on. And you could go back and look at the, the dozen or so think pieces written by people, myself included, about the Penguins going to the White House at that point. The Capitals go... And there are news stories about Braden Holpe not going, not a scintilla of the kind of criticism that the Penguins got. It did happen during Trump's best week. But uh, I will say this. Uh, part of me was like, you know what? This is the Capitals by design. They did not invite media. They're not having any kind of ceremony. They're purposely avoiding it. But then I think about the Penguins and they were doing everything they could to not draw attention to themselves either and saying right. it's not political. So I think you're totally right in your theory. It's a different climate. And that's why they got different reactions. Once again, right in my prognostication. Dateline Tampa Bay. John Cooper, according to ESPN's Emily Kaplan, gets a contract extension. Should they have buried Trotsdam? Should they have just kept him on the, the, the hook uh, without a contract until uh, we see how these playoffs turn out? Or was it just more important to keep him under contract? You know what's interesting, and I alluded to that on podcast because I had heard some rumors that they were thinking of, end quote, Barry trotzing him and saying if this team didn't win the Stanley Cup, they'd have to make a coaching change. But Julian Brisbois has said, you know, publicly all season long that they want him as part of their long term future. Um, I think it's if, if you firmly believe that and you say this is our coach, no matter what happens this year, no matter how much success we had, no matter if we win or lose, then you got to do it now because then it creates a distraction in the playoffs, a la what happened to Trotz. The only way that you don't sign him is if you think – is if you, you fail in the playoffs, they go out in the second round to either the Leafs or the Bruins, and you are convinced that Joel Quenville could get this team a cup mm-hmm. in a way that John Cooper couldn't. And Cooper, by the way, uh, regular season results <laughs> – Jesus – 101 points, 108 points, 97, 94. 94 was the only time he missed the playoffs – 113 and now 122 so far. Pretty good coach. But the only way that you ever entertain the idea of not bringing it back is if you're, you just hear in the back of your mind, yeah, I'd be happy to head down there to Florida and coach, uh, you know, Nikita Kucherov. <laughs> it's the only way you're going to do it. But, but again, that's if he wanted to. And again, there's no reason to dump Cooper. He's one of the best coaches in the league. Um, will be the most fascinating Jack Adams, uh, voting of either of our lifetimes this, uh, this c- coming up. Dateline Ottawa. Word is that the Ottawa Senators are going to hire a president of hockey operations to serve above uh, GM and public uh, misinformation officer Pierre Dorian. Uh, Elliot Friedman reports that the NHL is helping them, and it might be former Arizona Coyotes boss Don Maloney, who, of course, was the guy who uh, oversaw the franchise during the uh, NHL's ownership of it during their bankruptcy nightmare. Not not out of the realm of, of – of, I mean, it's not unique, I should say, that the NHL would step in and help a team. They're actually the ones that paired Iserman with the Tampa Bay Lightning when Jeff Vinnick took over the team. Um, but it is interesting that the Senators are looking for someone to kind of drive the ship uh, and yet keep Pierre Dorian 
in the bowels of that ship. It's kind of a weird flex. Another thing that Elliot reported that I found interesting was that, you know, there's been some speculation. Uh, okay, who would want this job? It's such a PR mess. You've got PR Dorian saying one thing, doing another thing. It's, you know, blah, blah, blah. You don't even get your top pick this year. Um, but an agent I talked to who represents coaches, and I, I think Elliot probably talked to the same guy, said, it's like, would you want your guys to go there? And he goes, there's only 31 jobs in this league, yeah. only 32. Someone wants this job. Um, mm-hmm. So they're, they're going to get a full candidate, uh, full list of candidates, and it'll be interesting to see who they choose. And plus, the job that they're trolling for is a upper, upper, upper management job. It's not even GM. It's like mm-hmm. you're above the GM. So in that situation, I think they're going to have a number of guys that are going to want the gig. They just have to pick the right guy, and that's the tough part. Uh, Dateline Los Angeles. Ilya Kovalchuk stays home for the Kings. Is this the end of Kovi in L.A.? It doesn't look pretty right now. I, I think it's the end of him with his coaching staff. I think, <laughs> you know, whatever happened with him and Willie Desjardins, it just did not mesh. But um let's be honest, I think they're getting a new coach in next year. I'd like to think that everyone in the L.A. organization is going to write off this year as something that they should never, ever speak of again. It was the no good, <laughs> terrible, awful peanut butter and chili pumpkin beer 2018-19 season and uh, next year we'll start fresh and Kobe will be the guy that they you know learn for all that money and he'll do great yeah I'm going to do a quick equation here um, new coach plus no move clause plus family living in Beverly Hills equals Ilya Kovalchuk will be on the roster for the Los Angeles Kings for the 2019-2020 season uh, in my estimation, at the very least. And you can find all that insight on the Daily Wager. <laughs> I'll put the ads at uh, uh, three to one that Gilia Kovalchuk's <laughs> on the Kings. Um, Dateline March Madness. Uh, to quote Pierre Maguire about Phil Kessel's breath. Hey, how's your bracket? Here's going to be my biggest flex of the day. Last year, I did so bad in like the first two rounds. I deleted the app. I didn't check my bracket at all. And then, like, the day of the Final Four, I'm like, oh, let me check. And I realized that there was a chance that I could win it all. Your girl won, like, 700 bucks. So I have no idea. I'm, I'm following the same superstition. I've deleted my app. I've not checked my bracket. I'm sure it's doing terribly, and I'm sure I'll win again. Yeah, I was in a massive uh, survivor pool. Um, and I don't I don't know why I ever entered these things. I don't know anything about college basketball. I'm picking, like, what mascot could win a fight with the other mascot most of the times. I went out on the first day. I had Nevada over Florida. Mm -hmm. And it was one of those picks where it seemed like all the smart people on our website and others were, like, not even caring about the game. They're just like, of course Nevada's going to advance. And then, lo and behold, they didn't. So my bracket was busted on the uh, first day of the thing. But there's another bracket to talk about. Dateline ESPN. The Stanley Cup Madness in which we pitted the 16 Stanley Cup champions of the last 16 years against each other. It's a super fun tournament. If you haven't seen it, do check it out on ESPN.com. Um, the the 1 versus 16 Red Wings of 2002 versus Hurricanes 2006 matchup, not going in the Hurricanes' favor. It's 93-7, to 7, uh, the percentages in that vote so far. But there's some fun ones. A, a black Two Blackhawks te- Black teams going against each other. I am fascinated to see what's going to happen 
Um, if the Boston Bruins of 2011 take on the Red Wings of 2008, I know a lot of this is kind of a popularity contest, but I also think people are going to take it seriously on which team would win in a seven-game series. A fun, a fun little diversion if you want to check it out. And thank you to the uh, 15,000 uh, that have voted on most of these polls so far, because uh, that also makes us look good. Um, no, it's super fun. I just have a question for you. Yeah. Are you planning on writing hypothetical gamers for the later round games? I might. I might also see if that computer that was writing game stories could maybe do it for me. Mm. Uh, <laughs> you can then call Jeff Bezos and see if he can send one of his robots. At some point. But yeah, I might. I might actually do it. Um, anyway, uh, here's the rant line. Guys, it's Matt from London, England. Uh, my rant um, is about you. Yeah, it's about you guys and how you have permeated my hockey uh, viewing and enjoyment. You've ruined it because every time the puck gets past Phil Kessel and the commentator says, Kessel, in my brain, I say, Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. No, he does not love hot dogs. Good one, Randy. Good one. Over and over and over again in my brain. So, Phil can't have the puck anymore because when he does, that plays over in my brain and you're blooming discover things. I work in real estate in the UK, and so whenever even that word gets used a lot, okay? So if somebody comes in with a survey and says, and look what I've discovered from the survey, straight away, my brain says, oh, that's interesting, but did you also know that Discover is the official credit card of the NHL? So, you know, you've kind of gone viral in my brain. Um, I didn't use profanity because on your thing, it says don't use profanity. The guy the other week did... And he had a bleep vest, and I really tried not to use profanity, even though the Brits do it really well. But guys, you've infected me, uh, and I have a problem. That's what I've discovered. <laughs> wow. I love this. I would have only one ask to come out of this entire rant. is for one week only, can we have his Phil Kessel loves hot dogs overwrite the other guy in our jingle? Because it was just so beautiful and British. <laughs> Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. No, he doesn't like hot dogs. Yeah. <laughs> It's kind of great. Yeah, thank you for that, man. That was really, really sweet. And, uh, you know, if you do want to call back and use profanity, I have seen Peter Capaldi on in the thick of it. And I know, understand that the Brits do use uh, profanity like uh, most master painters uh, use uh, colors. So please feel free to call back at any time. Anyways, that's uh, ESPN and Ice for this week. Uh, thanks to Sean Monahan. Thanks to Steve Dangle. Thanks to all of you. If you dig the show, go to iTunes. Leave a review. And tell everybody else how much you like it. Um, it helps people discover the show. It's a good thing for us. But uh, thanks for listening. Uh, you can find my stuff on ESPN.com and at Wyshynski on Twitter, W-Y-S-H-Y-N-S-K-I. Check out my much more profane uh, podcast, Puck Soup, as well. I'm Emily M. Kaplan, and I'm always not profane. And uh, thanks for listening. Bye. Aww. Bye. Bye.